Oh, that'd be so neat. Kids, have your kids make something. All right. Well, good morning, as we said again, and uh, I'm just going to pray one more time. (laughs) Lord, we love you. Your word is powerful. We need your word, Lord. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, showing us the way we should go because you love us so much, because you're a loving father that you exhort us and tell us the things that will cause us trouble in our lives and things that will be destructive to us. So thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fall on us now. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Give us hearts that are soft and pliable and moldable, Lord. Lord, help us to set things aside that are uh, set aside those things, Lord, that are um, vexing and troubling us for the moment, Lord, and um, to just focus in on you. And Lord, with those things that we're setting aside, help us to bring them to you. Lord, lay them at your feet and trust you with them. I just pray, Lord, that each one of us here would. Go forth from this room closer to you, understanding your character better, loving you, more deeply committed to you, Lord, and just doers of your word, Lord. We love you. We thank you. And we appreciate, Lord, this opportunity, this privilege to gather together. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are in James chapter 3. And he has been talking to us about the importance of works in demonstrating our faith. Although works cannot and do not save us, they are proof that we have been truly saved. And so we're going to continue today in learning about how our actions and now how our words demonstrate and are a witness to that fact of the Lord Jesus being in our life. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. This is actually my new King James right here. All right. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. All right. Well, (laughs) here I am. And Okay, Lord, I better listen up. At least that's what I thought when I got going with the study. Okay. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, just like we just did in our singing. And sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Now, quite honestly... I can't say that I was thrilled that this passage of Scripture fell to me to teach today. (laughs) 
in fact, but no accident with the Lord. You, you re- start to realize the light goes on. Well, who really needs it more? Sweet Connie or harsh mouth Robin sometimes, I think. Okay. In fact, when I told Harry that I was going to be teaching on the mother of all passages, okay, he said, oh, you must be teaching on Taming the Tongue, James chapter 3. So he knew exactly what I meant. This portion of scripture is a toughie, uh, not to understand really, because it's pretty clear, but to actually get it nailed down and doing it in our lives. And it's not a pleasant, warm, and fuzzy encouragement exactly given to us by James. It's one of those whackers that we need strongly applied to our seed of knowledge to set us straight and steer us on the right path. And now I'm the one who gets to teach it to you, so now I have the greater accountability to do it. (laughs) Yeah, Harry's like, amen. I told Harry and Christian the other night at dinner that after delivering this message, I better just keep my mouth shut from now on. But as I went on to study, I realized taking a vow of silence like a monk is not the solution or the cure-all, since its root is actually what's in our hearts. So let's get to it. We're in this together, girlfriends. Okay, it's not just me. We want the whole counsel of God, whether we think we do or not. We do. We want it. We need it. Not to choose just those few bits and pieces that uh, we like or the ones that are easy for us. We need what's good for us. And we're moving on from the milk of the word to the meat. So we've got to do some chewing. We've got to chew it carefully. We've got to fully digest it. And we're going to need it because it's going to be used to grow us and strengthen us so that we will be faithful and mature servants of our Lord. We've got to get all the Lord wants for us if we're going to grow. And so in the beginning of this chapter, we start with the teachers. And some of your Bibles may use the word masters. And the idea really of of a master here is a teacher. Teaching the word of God is an awesome and tremendous responsibility. Because when I stand here, or Connie, or Pastor Jeff, or whoever it is, to teach God's word, we're responsible to be teaching it correctly. If I don't, if a teacher doesn't rightly divide Uh, And rightly divide means um, you can think of like a surgeon cutting with precision. you got to do it right. Teach God's word truthfully and in its full counsel. And if you're just picking out little bits and pieces uh, or twisting the meaning around to suit our own opinions, well, uh, that's dangerous. And we're going to lead others astray and even into sin. And so we will bear the responsibility and accountability and the consequences for it. So it is a heavy obligation. So, so keep us in prayer. Jesus warned in three places that it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone around your neck than to stumble one of his children and to lead them astray. And those who would be teachers, they must be faithful to first learn. To teach poorly is to rob God. To teach wrongly is to misrepresent God. You must always be careful to have your information right and to have your theology correct. And so it's easy for us to take the position of a teacher lightly in the church without considering its cost in terms of accountability. And so if you are even considering teaching, I'm not trying to scare you off. I'm just saying approach it with care and with prayer, whether it's going to be leading a group or home Bible study, uh, or you get asked to come up here and teach, don't jump in and accept hastily. 
commit it to prayer and, and really consider it. You have to pray and think it through and remember that Jesus warned in Luke 12:48, to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So James is not just applying this to the pastors, but to all who teach. So that includes even the children's ministry and youth group leaders, the home Bible study leaders, the ladies and men's group leaders, even our Saturday morning food distribution message and so on. We all have a sphere of influence. And so we want to use that influence in a way to benefit their lives. We are to keep out the speculation and opinion and not meddle or tamper with the word of God. Keep it as pure as possible, Pastor Chuck Smith instructs, because we will give an account before God of how straightforward we were handling his word. And of course, when you are selecting Bible teachers to listen to on the radio, and I hope you are, or any place, pray, ask the Lord, listen carefully to them, and be a Berean. Uh, In other words, someone who is going to check out what is being taught, that it's not being twisted. The more you yourself read and study God's word, the less likely that you will be deceived or misled by faulty teaching. So you do have that responsibility. Moving on, uh, verse 2, it says that we all make mistakes. Yes, absolutely, we all stumble. Uh, Now, this means that these are not deliberate, premeditated sins when it's saying stumble and mistakes, God knows we're fallible. He knows we're human. But we still have the responsibility to do our best and to be wise stewards of our words. Matthew 12:36 says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it. Idle means lacking value. Is what you're saying helpful, edifying, and of value? Or was it worthless? What comes out of my mouth and your mouth needs to be helping for building others up according to their needs. It needs to benefit the listener according to Ephesians 4.29. And I'm going to give you a helpful acronym to use. I heard this years ago. To consider this before the words that leave your mouth. And really I should just have it tattooed to my eyelids because even though I heard it years ago, I, I have forgotten it many a time. I think you've probably heard this before. It's called THINK. T-H-I-N-K, and it's a good idea to write this down. T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? And notice also in verse 2, James includes himself among those who stumble. He doesn't excuse his or our stumbling. We know that we all stumble and make mistakes, but we have to press on to a better walk with the Lord marked by less stumbling. We want to see some progress. Here James is giving us a measure of spiritual maturity, not only for the teachers, but for all Christians to not stumble in word. It shows true spiritual maturity. And this is especially relevant to teachers because they have so much more opportunity to sin with their tongue. You know, I'm standing up here, what's coming out of my mouth, people are listening, only half of you are sleeping. So, you know, some people are going to take some of this, and and so, Lord, let it be your truth, not not some of the other goofball things that come out of my mouth. But it applies to us all, because we all have a sphere of influence. 
is what we're saying pointing them to the Lord? Or is it causing them to stumble and do something contrary to the will of God? Something that is leading them or encouraging them in some way of darkness that is destructive to their lives. Something that they haven't figured out or that is harmful to them. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5.6, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Now that's King James English. And here's what it's saying. Don't let your mouth make you sin. Yours or anyone else's. And anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Now, are we perfect? No, but this English word really better translated is meaning completely mature, completed. Now, they're able to keep their whole body in check. If we are able to control our mouths, we could also control ourselves in every other way because that is the toughie. The mouth is the toughest one. So you and I need to ask ourselves here, who has control over my mouth and my words? Is it God or is it my flesh? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it Satan? Do your words reflect who you are in Christ? Or do they reflect how much of the world and your sin nature is still rearing its ugly head within you? Is wisdom guiding what you say, what I say? Or is it the desire to get some attention or get our own way, which we'll be learning about a little further along in James, how we strive and struggle and fight because we want our own way. Even if our own way seems like the right way, the good way, maybe we're not saying going about it in the right way. Words have the crucial role of communicating not only our ideas, but how we are connecting with others. So our words really matter. One of my favorite verses that I pray for myself, for God to mold and shape me in, is Proverbs 31:25. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. How I pray that for each and every one of us as um, daughters of the Lord, as women in Christ, as sisters together, as we encourage each other, as we as we minister to each other, as we love each other, as we go into our families and our workplaces, that we would have those words of wisdom and kindness. Now, is everything that I say that way? No. But that's the bullseye that I aim for, and the Holy Spirit causes my aim to hit that target. So I need that help from the Holy Spirit because, quite honestly, my aim is very lousy, okay? So, Lord, help me, help me. And he does, he does, he does. You keep picking up the bow. You keep aiming it to the bullseye. And you know what? A little more times, a few more times, a little more often, it's hitting the bullseye. Thank you, Lord, for that. Because there was a time when nothing was even hitting anywhere near the target. A study was done some time ago by a Dr. Henry H. Goddard on energy levels in children. He found that when tired children are given a word of praise or commendation, the ergograph shows an immediate upward surge of new energy. I had to look up what an ergograph is because I didn't get one in my house with the refrigerator and the microwave. But it's a device used to measure the capacity of muscle groups in the body during contraction. Who knew? Doesn't everybody's kid come strapped with one of those? No, we can usually tell, you know. My kid has got plenty of energy. Okay, but anyway, listen to this. The study found that when the children were criticized and discouraged, the ergograph showed their physical energy took a sudden nosedive. Their whole countenance, their whole way they felt and thought, 
even if they couldn't put into words, they just, it really affected them. And the same results can be duplicated in adults. When we are praised and encouraged, our energy levels go up, and when we are criticized, our energy levels go down. And that reminded me of Proverbs 17:22: A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. So let's use our words to brighten and help and encourage like a good medicine. Proverbs 12:18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15:4 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. God is very direct and specific in Colossians 3:8-9. He says, Right now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these: anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other either, since you have taken off your old self with those evil practices. In James 3.6, the description used in the New King James Version says, the tongue is a world of iniquity and in that it defiles the whole body. I want to spend a few minutes here now and spell out very clearly what evil practices our mouths get engaged in and how our tongue defiles us. I'll give you five of them. Write them down. There probably are more, but let's write these five down. Uh, And actually, the first one is gossip. Now, these aren't necessarily in order of importance because they're all crummy, but gossip. Earlier in our leaders' meeting, Connie um, remembered a wonderful uh, illustration of this that she has given a few times. I won't tell it as well as she does, but basically... uh, Someone who had said something about someone came to the minister and said, you know, I'm sorry, I said this, and I'm sorry for the damage that's caused. And the minister said, well, you know what, you're forgiven. But I want you to take a feather pillow, open it up, and throw out the feathers. And then I want you to go and collect all the feathers. Now, I don't know if I got that quite right. Did I do it okay, Leanne? The fe- oh, up on a hill. Yeah, okay. So these feathers are going everywhere. And I, we were saying if, if Julie were here, Julie Scorzell, our other teacher, she brought in a pillow with the feathers, you know. And I mean, remember that Lucy show when she's painting her, her house? And they're trying to get the paint to dry. And they were also, bad combo, reupholstering the furniture. And she'd never done it either. So she's taking a knife to cut the old furniture. And, she, and it's feathered stuffed furniture, okay, old feathered down furniture. And she's taking all the feathers out, piling them up on a table. And then Fred Mertz, her neighbor, Ethel says, oh, the paint, it's still wet. We need to dry this paint. Brad, go get the fan. So Fred, <laughs> the fan is just set there. It's not plugged in. And Fred is, puts them back to go plug it in. And before you know it, the fan has blown the feathers all over the whole room. And the apartment has freshly painted walls. So now all the feathers are all over, including stuck to the walls. But anyway, you get the idea. With feathers going everywhere, gossip. We're going to talk about gossip here. Paul warned Timothy and Titus about gossipers in the church. He used the term malicious gossips. And that is what gossip is to describe them. This is a word that may surprise you with its true meaning. The word in Greek is diabolos, the name given to the devil himself. It comes from a word that means to throw over, to toss. 
When we're gossiping, we're just throwing out this bit of information, just tossing over a juicy piece of news or just something interesting. But in reality, we are doing the work of the devil. We've got to become sensitive to that's exactly what it is and not make light of this sin of the tongue and stop it completely because it destroys people. You know, and yes, you need discernment. There's a fine line. We are going to share some things with one another. We're a family here. We share when somebody is struggling or hurt to pray for one another. But it needs to be with discernment and care. And and is this necessary? We can pray for people without knowing all the details because the Lord already knows all the details. So anyway. We Christians, you know, we shrink back from what we would categorize as the biggie sins, like murder, molesting kids. We realize, we grasp these are satanically depraved evil deeds, and yet we tolerate gossip, slander, deceit, half-truths, as if they weren't really a big deal. But James is saying that all such sins have their origin in the pit of hell. That's pretty strong. They defile and they destroy And so that's why we know that's where they're from, because the enemy of our soul, he wants you to be choosing things that are going to destroy you. He is not looking out for your best interests. He wants to destroy you. The Lord, uh, you know, you think of your child, you're going to, you want to think of their best interests. I'm going to warn my son, don't run out into that street. You're going to get hit by a car. You may get killed, you know. And so that is what God's words to us is. It isn't. Some people might think, well, it's a list of do's and don'ts, and you can't do this, and you can only do that. It is a love letter. It is a letter of love. He loves you so much. He is giving you very clear information here of things that are harmful to you, harmful to your family, harmful to the people around you that you work with or that you cross paths with. And so uh, listen to what the Lord is telling you because... He loves you and he wants you to have those blessings and not those destructive things. All right, number two is tearing down, insulting. I have tearing down slash insulting. Insulting others or tearing them down and being quick to point out faults in people and point out their shortcomings to others, especially when they deserve it, that is a public service, right? (laughs) Wrong. I always thought it was. I thought I was a helpful person in the world to go around and let everybody know exactly how they were not doing something right or how to do something better or, anyway, just pretty much the quality control standard of, you know, of my little kingdom or whatever, my home or whatever. Well, the Lord really sat me down on this one. Wrong. I have a big wrong here on my notes. And I have been very, very guilty of this, and the Lord has shown me that it's very seriously wrong and evil to do this and to just stop it completely. And maybe you're guilty of this too. Maybe you're not like a super super extreme, you know, uh, critical person. But somebody said this morning in our leaders group meeting that um, uh, the root of all of our sins is pride. And you really see the light go on in some of this stuff, you know. And the Lord hates pride. He He is repelled by it. He's far from it. I don't want the Lord to be far from me. So, Lord, I confess right here and I ask, please forgive me and help me not to do this. Help me. I don't want to have the quality control job anymore, Lord. It's your job. And help me now to just be a person who encourages and lifts others up in prayer. 
First Peter 3, 8, 9 says, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. We tear down family members, neighbors, our boss, our co-workers, and of course the politicians, they're fair game. But we need to repent of this. It's sin, plain and simple. All right, number three, profanity. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such words that are good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. The word unwholesome means rotten, putrefied, corrupt, no longer fit for use. And this doesn't just apply to those really bad four-letter words, but, you know, those words that sound a little funny, words that our culture has embraced for TV and movies. I can't sit here and give you a a bunch of examples, but probably we could all have some come to mind. Even slang slang words, I'll say the dadgummit, heck. I was thinking of my grandpa and all the different things he used to say. Trying to soften the cursing. And let's just uh, avoid all appearances of evil, the Bible tells us. You know, that would be the best thing. You can think of words that have sounded very close to other words and let's just avoid the appearance of evil and the last one no not the last one number four nobody's going to like this one complaining philippians 2 verses 2 to 14 says do all without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent james 5 9 do not complain brethren against one another that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. The Lord is right here listening to you, and he's the only one who is fit to judge because he's the only one with a pure heart, holy, without sin, undefiled, who, in love, who loves us all without ulterior evil motives. So the only one fit to be a judge, and he's right there listening. And so uh, if you think words are coming out of your mouth, and, and even when you're by yourself mumbling and grumbling, uh, the Lord's there. Colossians 3:12 to 13. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive. I want lots of grace. And then I had a revelation, a divine revelation, one of those, that my husband was supposed to get some too. You know, I had to read it again. See, is that really in there? But yeah, he gets some too. I, I like to have more, but he gets some too. And a lot of that grace is supposed to come from me. That was another thing. That was part B of like this whole series of thought patterns. Like, you know, the Lord, the Lord doesn't overwhelm you. He gives you just how much you can handle, okay? That right there was a, was a major shockeroo, okay? You mean, it isn't just me that gets all the grace, you know, around here? Okay, he gets some too. Okay, now, and from you, you give him grace. You, as grace has been given to you, I have forgiven you. You have a few, okay, you have a lot of uh, things that are very irritating about you. And I give you lots of grace. I've forgiven you for everything you've ever done, have done, will do. And you know what? Your husband gets that too. So, yes, we are to be gracious. I know. I heard that in our hearts. 
and we are to be gracious with our mouths. And maybe it isn't just maybe it isn't the hubster, maybe it's the boss, maybe it's the neighbor, maybe it's whoever it is, but you know what? The Lord loves them. The Lord died for them. The Lord wants to bless them, love them, and he's going to use you. That grace that he pours into you is going to come out. Anyway, I didn't put this last one on the list, and actually maybe this should go without saying and be number one. Do not curse or use inappropriately the holy and wonderful name of God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. But rather instead, here's what our mouths are for, Psalm 35:28. My tongue will speak of your righteousness and of your praises all day long. That's why we have mouths, to love each other, to encourage each other, to... Bring forth the good news of the Lord. Our mouths are made for good. Our human nature has hijacked them and used them for evil. The enemy fans the flames to get these to be his tools and not the Lord's. Now, verses 3 to 6 here in James chapter 3, we have got some great illustrations as to the power of the tongue. I was looking on BibleMaster.com. I saw some interesting notes this guy, uh, Jeff Stripe, made about the actual physical facts of the tongue. The tongue, like the heart, is almost all muscle. But unlike routine and repetitive cardiac contractions, the tongue is capable of very precise, complicated, and elaborate movements. Now, have you ever seen somebody tie a cherry stem in a knot with their tongue or even fit their button through their buttonhole with their tongue? Some people have talent. All right. Now, our tongue is necessary for all speech, no matter what language you speak. Without a tongue, you wouldn't be able to create the sounds that make up the letters and the words you speak, and you wouldn't be able to communicate and talk the same way you do now. You know, man has been able to improvise. There have been people who haven't been able to speak. speak. The the word dumb actually means um, not unintelligent. It means unable to speak with their mouth. They're mute. Well, we need our tongue to talk, to sing, to whistle, to eat with, and, of course, to taste with. Thank you, Lord, for my chocolate taste buds. I don't know. Maybe they've been a curse to me. I don't know. But this little important member of our body, I uh, like Charles Swindoll, what he called it, the two-ounce slab of trouble. Uh, I think that's true. James points out to us that though it is small, it is a powerful force. It can ignite. It can become out of control. It can destroy. Our words have awesome power for good, uh, as a glowing, warming fire does on a cold day, or out of control like the raging fire that destroys. If you don't control your tongue, it's going to get you into great trouble. James is warning you. Warning, warning, don't go there. He gives excellent illustrations to us a huge ship able to be steered by a tiny rudder even in a powerful wind a mighty powerful horse that can be turned and directed by just a little bit that's in its mouth and as i've just mentioned that tiny spark that can kindle and burst into an out of control blaze out of control not carefully steered the ship crashes onto the rocks out of control and not guided gently That horse runs rampant, stampedes, and dangerously tramples out of control. That tiny spark, it inflames, it devastates, it destroys. And we have to understand this last example. We've had it right here from our own experience in our mountain forest fires. We have people whose houses have burned to the ground. The tongue must be handled and steered and guided carefully. We read a few weeks ago in James 1, 19 to 20, let every person be swift to hear and slow to speak, 
slow to wrath. For the wrath of God does not produce the righteousness of God. The mouth is simply the opening that vents whatever is in our heart. There's a direct connection between your thoughts and your mouth. So if it's yucky and there's raw sewage in the heart, there will be raw sewage gushing from the mouth. I don't want to be a sewer pipe. I don't think you want to be a sewer pipe. Jesus taught in Matthew 12:34 to 37 that a person's words are a reliable revelation of their inner character. And what we say can indicate what we are. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Jesus said, the good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. Jesus said something we need to pay attention to very carefully. It's not really that which goes into a man that defiles him, but that which comes out of a man that defiles him, a man or a woman. For out of the mouth comes blasphemies and evil speaking. And then he said it, is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks in Matthew 15:11 verses 18 and 18 and 19. So, we need to cap the flow on that sewer pipe. A wise individual observed, as you go through life, you are going to have many opportunities to keep your mouth shut. Take advantage of all of them. That was from Reader's Digest. <laughs> David prayed, "Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth." Keep watch over the door of my lips. Proverbs 17:28 says, Even a fool is thought to be wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Proverbs 21:23, He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. And then, let us welcome and submit to the cleaning up of our hearts from the Holy Spirit. Lord, I don't want to be a cesspool mouth. I don't want to have a cesspool heart. I want fresh, clean, clear springs of your living water to be pouring in from you and then out of me to bless others. So let's make that our prayer and make that our reality. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. In verses 7 to 8, James does not say the tongue is untamable. He says no one can tame it. Human beings have been able to tame everything, every kind of animal, bird, creature, unable to tame their own tongue or anyone else's, where it says no, even those bars of soap. I remember, I, have you ever had your mouth washed out with a bar of soap? I, my mom did that to me. It worked pretty good because it was pretty, I think she picked the worst flavor soap possible. I think it did help me. But we still say things that maybe aren't a bad, naughty word, but still, you know, can have a, a, um, a destructive effect. No man literally means no one of men can control his or his neighbor's tongue. It is humanly untamable. Only God can tame it. Only God himself is mightier than the human tongue. It can be brought under the power and control of his Holy Spirit. And it starts with our heart to reach the tongue. Is Jesus in your heart? The mouth is the voice piece of the heart of man. So select carefully what goes into your heart and mind. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk daily under his control. The control of the Holy Spirit, it tells us Galatians 5.18. Whatever things are true. This is a verse all of you, go home, look it up. If you don't already know this by memory, write it down, tape it up. Philippians 4, 8. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble 
Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Let this verse be your guide when you're selecting what you're going to read, watch, listen to, and you know what, even more so for your kids. Aim and work continually at taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Get God's word into you. It will come up. It will get you right back on the right path. The right path, meaning the path that is beneficial to you. The path that is not the path of destruction. The path that makes you a blessing the Lord can use in the lives of others. Renew your mind by reading and memorizing scripture. Romans 12.1 and 2 exhorts us. And Psalm 119.11, maybe you remember that one. Thy word have I hid in my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against thee. I taught that to my own son when he was just three or four. And we just keep tucking God's word into us daily to this day. Verse 9, with our tongues we praise our Lord and Father. And this is the highest capacity of my tongue when I use it, Lord, to praise you. But then, oh no, part B of verse 9, with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. People that the Lord loves. And there isn't anyone that he doesn't love. Ah, Our gross, wretched inconsistency. We say, praise the Lord in one breath, sing songs of praise to the Lord in church, and then say evil and crummy things about another person on our way home from church. Yes, we're human. Yes, we're messed up. Yes, we are hypocrites. There isn't People don't come to church or they don't want to be a Christian because, oh, well, there's hypocrites there. Well, hello, there's hypocrites in your shoes. There's hypocrites wherever you go. Whether you are know the Lord or not, that's human beings, okay? And so that's, a, that's an easy backdoor, an easy excuse. But we know, once we learn something, we know we're accountable now to let's go forth and do it. Verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brethren, my family, my sisters, my friends. These things ought not to be this way. The point is, is we cannot worship and praise God authentically if we use the same mouth to curse his children. Hello. J. Vernon McGee said, we can't sing like an angel on Sunday and talk and curse like a demon the rest of the week. Amen. Verse 11. Can both fresh water and salt or bitter water flow from the same spring? No, they can't. Verse 12. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So, am I, are you, a bitter or a sweet spring? Do I refresh with my words, or are my words like murky and polluted bitter water? And ask yourself, what is the source of my spring? What fruit does someone see in my life? Is it sweet, or is it bitter? Is it rotten? Is it creepy? The tongue will reveal if we have genuine faith, because... It is with the mouth that confession is made of that which is in the heart. Grace can make the mouth that used to send forth the bitter now send forth the sweet. A heart transformed by Jesus goes from being polluted and poisoned to purified and healed and becomes now a source of goodness and benefits to others. A source that can now speak wisdom and give a testimony for God. And in closing, here's a little test for us all, including me, to do today. Let's see if we can go 24 hours. What time is it? Oh, I'm up past time. Okay, 24 hours from now without saying any unkind words about or to anybody. If you can't go 24 hours without drinking alcohol, 
you're addicted to it. You're an alcoholic. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, well, you're addicted to that nicotine. It controls you. You don't have control over it. You're in bondage to it. Maybe we've got something like that in our lives. Similarly, if you cannot go 24 hours without saying an unkind word about others, then you do not have control over your tongue. And this is a dangerous and destructive thing in your life and the lives around you. Just like that unguided ship, that rampaging horse, that destructive raging fire. The Lord loves you. He wants you to steer clear of those things that are destructive to you. It's hurting you. It's hurting you. It may seem like you're hurting the other person, what you said. It's hurting you. Immerse yourself, your mind, your heart, your lifestyle in what is of the Lord and spend time with Him each day. Renew yourself in Him and His Word each day. Pray to Him each day. Ask Him just as David did. Lord, search my heart. Show me if there be any wicked way in me. And then turn from those things He shows you. And lastly... I want to leave you with this. I love this verse. I had it painted over my phone when I was a new Christian. Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word today, Lord. It's... it's (laughs) Some of the time, Lord, it's not easy for us to hear these things, things that we struggle with, things that actually some of the things we kind of like. Lord, I sometimes have thought it's really funny to give a a sarcastic, mean answer back in reply. Well, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us by your Holy Spirit tame our tongues, Lord, and let them be tongues that are glorifying to you, Lord, and helping others, Lord, and showing your love and pouring forth that grace. Lord, I ask that you would be with the ladies as they go break into their small groups, Lord, that you would knit them together with each other in your love and with you, Lord. And I thank you and praise you, Lord. And I ask that you would help us all to go that 24 hours, Lord, and then even more so, Lord, uh, to have tongues that are gracious, gracious, gracious words, Lord, gracious words of love and edification. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.